You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The Sin Pandemic What if we told you there was a pandemic even greater than COVID-19? Worse in every way, more deadly and contracted by every single person on the planet. Though not necessarily a pandemic in the literal sense of the word, sin, disobedience to God's laws, is the greatest condition we face. In this episode, we will outline this sin pandemic and show you the solution that the Bible provides. Merriam-Webster defines the word pandemic as an outbreak of a disease that occurs over a wide geographic area, such as multiple countries or continents, and typically affects a significant proportion of the population. Well, the outbreak of COVID-19 certainly occurred over a wide geographic area, essentially every country on planet Earth, and it has affected a significant proportion of the population, many people directly and many more people indirectly. All of our lives have been touched one way or another by the COVID pandemic. But as we alluded to in the introductory video, there is another pandemic of sorts that is even more widespread, more transmittable, and more deadly than COVID-19. It's been around for over 6,000 years, and yet many people in the world today probably don't really give it too much thought. And this, of course, is the sin pandemic. And the reality is we need to regard this subject with all of its, with all of its effects and implications and consequences with a much, much higher degree of seriousness than any pandemic this world has ever seen. Well, we start with the question, what is sin? And there are various words in the Bible pertaining to sin, which are translated in our English English versions as sin or iniquity or transgression or trespass or other words besides these. One of the most prominent words for sin that we find in the Old Testament is is the Hebrew word chata'ah, which simply means an offense. And in the Hebrew language, Chata'ah is derived from a root word, chata, meaning to miss, to miss the mark, to miss the way, to miss the goal, to miss the path of right and duty, to go wrong and to incur guilt. And so we might ask the question, well, what is this mark that is being missed? What is this way, this goal that, that is being missed? Well, the definition indicates that there is a determined path of right and duty and that to sin is to miss that path, to go wrong and thus to incur guilt. Well, who determines that path? Who decides what is right versus what is wrong? Who decides what is good versus what is evil? Who decides what is moral versus immoral? You know, these are interesting questions, especially considering the times in which we live, because it's becoming increasingly popular for people to decide for themselves what their own standard of morality should be for themselves. And by contrast, it's becoming increasingly unpopular for people to want to adhere to any standard of morality that somebody else has determined for them. 
you know, there are things that most people would probably agree are evil, things like murder or stealing or lying, things that are even written into the laws of our society, and there are consequences for breaking those laws. But there are a lot of other areas where society has left the definition of morality up to each individual to decide for themselves. For example, what kind of language comes out of our mouth, or what forms of entertainment we might choose for ourselves, or whether we need to be concerned with helping the poor and the needy, or expanding boundaries in, in choosing a marriage partner, or whether the marriage covenant is even important anymore. The standard of morality is increasingly becoming something like this. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, why should anyone care what decisions I'm making for myself? It's my life and I can do what I want with it and I can decide my own standards of morality. You do you and I'll do me and I don't need anyone telling me that I'm doing anything morally wrong or sinful. And so we ask the question again, is there a set mark, a way, a goal, a determined path of right and duty? Is there a standard of good versus evil of moral versus immoral. Or to put it in Bible terms, is there such a thing as sin versus righteousness? Well, the Apostle Paul has some helpful words for us in, in his epistle to the Romans in chapter three, verse 23, where he writes, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so that's the standard, God's glory or God's character. God's holiness, God's righteousness, the attributes of God's character, that's the standard of good versus evil. When he created mankind upon the earth, he intended that they reflect his holiness in, in their lives. And he has given us commandments by which he wants us to live so that by obeying them, we might learn to show his glory, to show his character in our lives. But when we fail to keep those commandments and instead we choose our own way, we miss God's mark. We sin against God and come short of his glory. And you know what it says in that verse there, that all have sinned. None of us are exempt. Again, the apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So to commit sin is to break the law. And this isn't just any law that we're talking about. This is God's law. When we break God's law, he regards this as sin. And ultimately, all sin is an offense against God himself. So where did sin originate? Well, we mentioned earlier that the, this deadly sin pandemic has been around for over 6,000 years. But exactly when and where did it originate? In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, again, the Apostle Paul writes that, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so the Apostle Paul states very clearly that in this passage that sin came into the world by one man. And did you notice that Paul also links that occasion of the first sin with the onset of death? He's referring, of course, to the account that we find way back in the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve broke God's law concerning eating the fruit of a very particular tree. And we'll start with the context in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, where God commanded the man. He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, 
you shall surely die. And in the original language of the Bible, that phrase, you shall surely die, is actually the same Hebrew word repeated twice. So in other words, God says, dying, you shall die. So Adam was warned that if he were to eat the fruit from this particular tree, that the consequent, uh, consequence would be a change in his nature, so that he would now become a dying creature. And if we fast forward to chapter 3, where God speaks to Adam after he broke God's law and ate the fruit of the tree, we read uh, the following words that God spoke to Adam. He says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So there was this change that took place in Adam's nature. He was now a dying creature. His life would eventually expire, and he would return to the ground out of which he was taken. And of course, this change in nature came upon Eve as well, and it's been transmitted to all of their descendants from that time, even until now, without exception. We are all dying creatures. But there was another change that came out of this situation. Something else changed in Adam and Eve's nature that had not been there before. There was another aspect of this sin pandemic that originated out of the consequence of Adam's transgression in Genesis chapter 3. In addition to being mortal dying creatures, Adam and Eve's nature changed so that they were now also inclined to sin. They were inclined to do the wrong thing. They were inclined to commit wrongdoing against God. In their very nature, they now tended towards missing God's mark, missing God's way, going off the path of right and duty, and doing evil in God's sight. And this too was transmitted to all their descendants without exception. But is our nature really that bad? Is our nature really opposed to God's thoughts and to God's ways? Well, once again, we turn to the epistle of, uh, of Paul to the Romans, where Paul aptly describes the second change to our nature in chapters 7 and 8. So as we said, there were two changes to Adam and Eve's nature. The first being that they were now mortal creatures, they were dying creatures. And secondly, they had this inherent tendency towards doing the wrong thing. So Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 17 and 20, he calls it, sin that dwells within me. He's referring to this, this sin nature. In chapter 7, again, in verse 23, he says, it's the law of sin that dwells in my members. And in chapter 8, verse 3, he simply calls it sinful flesh because it makes us want to do the wrong thing. In chapter 7, verse 18, he very clearly says, for I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. That's he, he wills to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing. But how to perform what is good, I do not find because of this awful nature that I have. You know, there's a notion out there that, well, mankind is basically good. We're, we're basically good people. But the reality is exactly what Paul says here in verse 18. In our flesh, nothing good dwells. And if you take the time to read through this section of chapter 7, you find that this causes a great deal of anxiety for Paul, as it should for each one of us. He delights in the law of God, and he wants to do the right thing and to please God. But because of his sin nature, he ends up doing what he doesn't want to do. He does what he hates doing. He writes the following words to the Galatians in chapter 5. He says in verse 17, For the desires of the flesh, that is, the sinful desires of our nature, 
are against the spirit. That's the spirit of God, God's thoughts and God's ways. And he says that the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another, opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's an opposition between the desires of our flesh and the desires of the spirit. There's an enmity, a hostility, a spiritual warfare, if you will, between two enemies, our natural thinking versus God's thinking, our natural ways versus God's ways. And the Lord Jesus Christ highlights the awfulness of our nature when he says the following in Mark chapter 7. He says, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and murders and thefts and covetousness, all these awful things, he says, these evil things come from within and defile the man. Well, clearly God hates sin, but does he want us to remain unforgiven? The prophet Micah says in chapter 7, verse 18, he says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Again, in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, the famous words of the Lord Jesus when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, although our sins are an offense to God, and they are deserving of death, these encouraging passages teach us that God does not want us to remain unforgiven and be left to die in our sins. He can pardon our iniquities and pass over transgressions because he is a God who delights in mercy, not in death. And in his mercy and in his love, while we were still sinners and least deserving of that mercy and least deserving of that love, he provided his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as an offering for sin. And God willing, the sacrifice of Christ will be the subject of a future webinar presentation. And so we'll conclude with a question, is there a remedy for this sin pandemic? Modern medicine will never be able to find a cure. Any future medical discoveries will never be able to produce a vaccine. But thankfully, God has revealed to us in his word, the Bible, how we can be forgiven of our sins and given the hope of eternal life. God says through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 18, again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. And God says, get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. The Apostle Peter says in chapter 2 of Acts, repent and be baptized in every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or pardoning of your sins. And in 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John says that if we confess our sins, that he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if we put all these pieces together, 
If we consider our ways and acknowledge and confess our sins to God, if we repent and turn away and cast away our transgressions, if we get a new heart and a new spirit, a mind and a disposition that is in harmony with God's thoughts and God's ways, if we are baptized into the saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we walk in newness of life, following the example of Jesus, then God can forgive us our sins and pardon our iniquities and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He can work in our lives to help transform our thoughts and transform our ways to be more like his. And he can provide us with the hope of salvation, the gift of eternal life. Well, we'll take our final thought from the words of David in Psalm 119, where David says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And so as we do our best to turn away from transgression and to get a new heart and a new spirit, one of the best things we can do is to read God's word, the Bible, regularly and prayerfully so that it can help to fortify us in the struggle against sin. And it is our sincere hope that through the regular reading of God's word and through these Bible Basics webinar presentations, that God will bless our efforts as we strive to overcome temptation and that he will ultimately provide deliverance and salvation from this sin pandemic. If you found this video helpful, then make sure to go to our website to find other Bible study materials. And also don't forget to take the quiz by using the link down below. If you take enough quizzes, you'll earn some awesome rewards as well as some very useful Bible study tools. We at Bible Basics Webinar also specialize in individual and small group Bible studies. You can text us by using the phone number that's also down in the description, as well as our email to get more information about our Zoom and in-person classes. And of course, thank you so much for watching Bible Basics Webinar, where we use the Bible to learn about God. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen